Nice to be with you this morning. Welcome. And uh, as Pastor Tim said, my name is Mark Schuler. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at Harvest, and a uh, pleasure to be able to open up the word with you here this morning. And so thanks, Tim, for the opportunity. Uh, so let me start with this. I was looking at an article this week that listed uh, things that were timeless. Uh, you know, kind of classic things that stand the test of time. So here's the top five that it gave. Number one, denim. All right, denim. You know, the first pair of jeans was patented in 1873, and who doesn't love their comfy jeans, right? So denim stands the test of time. The, the second timeless thing that was listed was this, uh, family photos, right? Whether it's the Polaroid, right, or whether it's the iPhone shot, families love to capture memories by photo. Classic things that stand the test of time. Number three, ready? Coffee. Need I say more? Now I know some of you are thinking, how can I get up right now and get to the cafe and get a refill where Mark doesn't see me? It's the goodness of God seen in a cup of coffee. So good. Classic things that stand the test of time. Number four, scissors on the list. All right, but, but listen, the first trademark on scissors was 1791, and who doesn't have a pair in their house? It, it is a classic tool, right? All right, number five, here we got five things, top five, timeless things. Uh, number five, by the way, I'm personally a little bummed out that pizza didn't make the list. It's number one in my heart, uh, but number five is a great one, playing catch with your dad, All right? So just a a ball and a glove in the yard with your dad making memories, just throwing the ball back and forth. Well, timeless things, classic things that stand the test of time. Why do I mention all that? Well, we've been in a series, and it's been called this, Across the Ages. And we've been, we've been walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 1 to 3, and we've been learning about something that is truly timeless and eternal. God's truth. God's word. And so we've been learning the truth of what it means to be a church on fire. What was written to the church in Corinth back then is true even today, listen, across the ages, okay? And so that's where we're going to be again this morning. Go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians, and we are going to finish chapter 3 this morning, so verses 12 to 18, and this is going to be somewhat of a part two of Pastor Steve's message from last week as we look at the hope, the glory, and the transformation that comes with the new covenant. All right, so if you're taking notes, let's jump right into this. The first thing is this, number one, hope in Christ. Hope in Christ with the veil removed and our hearts exposed to the gospel truth. Verse 12 of chapter three. <clears throat> Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So you remember that Paul in the letter is defending his character and he's defending his ministry, his apostleship of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 3, against the backdrop of his opponents, right, who were engulfed in 
Old Testament law-keeping and legalism, we see him explain his ministry and his message. And, and you remember back a few weeks ago that he was telling us that this was given to him by God. 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, We're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And you remember last week, chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. So, along with those verses and all of verses 1 to 11 of last week, we looked at the exceeding glory of the new covenant. The fact that the new covenant is brighter, it's better, it has a far surpassing glory. The new covenant. And the new covenant is the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came and died to forgive sin. The good news that God promises to forgive our sin to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's our message. We also are ministers of a new covenant. And so we proclaim, church, what? That all men and women are sinners. That there's nothing that we could do in and of ourselves to save us from the consequences of our sin, which is eternal hell under the wrath of a holy God. That's the bad news. That the whole world is guilty. That every mouth is stopped. That all of us are guilty and sentenced to hell. Every living person, past, present, and future. But God had a plan, amen? God had a plan and he sent his son because he loved the world. And he gave his son and so Jesus comes down. God in the flesh. And he lives the perfect life fulfilling the law. Lives the perfect life we could never live. And he dies on the cross shedding his own blood. Him for me. Substitutionary atonement. God in my place dying for me on the cross. And so his blood and death and resurrection satisfies the wrath and the justice of a holy God. And so now, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we can be forgiven, not by anything that we do, any of our work, but by his work on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the new covenant. We said it like this last week. It's the promise of the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation of a right relationship with a holy God, all based on who Christ is and what he's done. That's why Luke 22:20 20 says, this cup that is poured out for you, Jesus says this, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now let me ask you, does that bring hope? Does that fire up your worship? Man, that ought to bring hope. And listen, if you have not turned to Jesus Christ, if you have not turned and put your faith in him and confessed him as God, Lord, Savior, and put your hope in him, do that now. Don't wait another moment. Those who come to him, he'll never turn away, the scripture says. And so come and turn to Christ and experience this promise of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. And look, for the very first time, walk in a right relationship with God. God loves you. This brings us hope, this new covenant. And so Paul says it just like that in verse 12, since we have such a hope. 
Since we have such a hope, since we have such a, you tell me, hope. We have this hope because the new covenant is far greater. That's what verses 1 to 11 were telling us. And so Paul's, Paul exclaims now, we, since we have such a hope. And let me just do a quick reminder here of 2 Corinthians 3, of what we saw last week and the contrast that he's giving us as we have this hope. And we have it, as I remind you, because the old covenant, the rules, the regulation, the law, that was written on tablets of stone. But the new covenant is written with the Spirit on our hearts, 2 Corinthians 3.3. The old covenant, Paul says, the law, it kills. It's actually, he says, a ministry of death. But the Spirit gives life, 2 Corinthians 3.6. The old covenant is a ministry, he says, of condemnation, but the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness, 2 Corinthians 3, 9. So he's giving us the contrast, and then finally, the old covenant has a temporary fading glory, but the new covenant has a permanent and surpassing glory, 2 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11. That brings us hope. Look, the new covenant is far greater. It is far better It is far better. Say that. It's far better. Now that's the point that the author of Hebrews is making through the book. And I just want to share a couple more scriptures with you. Because compared with the old covenant of law, as we wrap our mind around all this, the new covenant of grace is what it says. It's a better covenant. That's Hebrews 7.22. It says this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This covenant also, church, has a better hope, right? That's what we're talking about. And so Hebrews 7, 19 says it like this, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God, okay? Better, better, it has better promises. Hebrews 8, 6 says it like this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And the last one I want to share with you is it has a better sacrifice. Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, right, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The new covenant is better Although the law, church, it was good, it was holy, it was righteous because it revealed the holy character of God and because it also did this, it set apart Israel from other nations. It set it apart. But look, it was never intended to save. It cannot save. It showed us, really, that we couldn't keep the law. And in that way, revealing our sin. And so the Old Testament saints then looked forward to the Messiah, right, to Jesus, and we now look back to the cross, back to Christ. And so the old covenant has no ultimate hope, a ministry of death, but the new covenant has real hope. It has hope. You can have hope today. And hope is this, it's the absolute assurance that every glorious promise of the new covenant will come to pass. It will. You can hope in that. You can anchor yourself down in that. 
Every glorious promise of the new covenant will come to pass. God will keep his promises. You can rest in that. You can trust that with all your heart. You don't have in Christ anymore a hopeless end. You have an endless hope, the blessed hope. Christ, our only hope. We have hope. So if you're struggling today, Psalm 130 says it like this, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love and with him is sure redemption. We have such a hope. Paul goes on to say, since we have such a hope, what? He says, we are very bold. We are very bold. Because of this hope in the better new covenant, Paul and his fellow uh, workers were what? They were bold. They spoke the truth plainly, he says, openly. They didn't hesitate to share the truth. Why? There's no hope without it. And so they shared it. They were bold. They were courageous. They spoke for God because God called them to proclaim the message. They were bold. And after he says that, now he gives the example here of Moses. We read about this last week in Exodus 34. You could just write that down and read that on your own if you haven't caught that passage yet. But he says it like this. He says, um, we have such a hope. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And now he goes to Moses as the illustration again. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it, right, the veil, is it taken away. Yes, he says, to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And so, Moses veiled his face. And so what Paul's saying is he's saying in part he did that, Moses did, because the, that the Israelites might not, he says here, gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. He, he veiled his face. In that way, you see the glorious old covenant was, was a covenant that was temporary, that was veiled, it was fading, it was a fading covenant. But look, the temporary nature of the old covenant was not at fault, nor was Moses at fault, he's saying, for those who refused to believe on God. It wasn't their fault, okay? Not Moses, not the old covenant. The problem was the hearts and the minds of the people. Paul says, it, it may, he makes it clear that the Israelites did, Israelites did not believe because their minds were hardened. Okay, you could just write this down. Stubborn, hard-hearted unbelief. That was it. That was the problem. And so Paul's saying, just like then, so it is now in his days of ministry. Paul says, they don't see it as we preach the new covenant. Why? There's not a problem with the covenant. There's certainly no problem with Christ. It's the people's hearts. They reject the Messiah. Paul saw this in his ministry at the reading of Moses, at the reading of the Old Covenant, which is done on every Sabbath in every synagogue. But instead of allowing that word to come up over and for them to see that reveals their sin and points them to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they instead with hard-hearted unbelief reject Christ. 
They reject Jesus, the Messiah. Paul saw it, and of course we know Jesus saw this too. In fact, John 5, 39 and 46 and 47, Jesus says this. These are his words. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, he says. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. He says in verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so by contrast now, it's when we what? When we turn to Christ in repentance and faith, when we turn to him and believe on Jesus Christ, we then have what? God gives us spiritual eyes to see. And we begin to see the veil of the soul is removed. And we see it. We have a clear vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is gonna tell us. As we move through this book in a few weeks, you'll see 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see it, we see Christ, we see his glory. When we turn to Jesus, listen, all the fog of veiled truth is swept away. And we see it so clearly when we turn to him, when we turn to Christ, when we turn to him in faith. I read this quote this week that I really loved. I want to read it to you. It said, we looked at Jesus Christ one day. And we found that he who made man was made in the likeness of man. That he, who was made, that he who made the law was made under the law. That he who was clothed with honor and majesty was wrapped in swaddling clothes. That he who came in weakness will come in power. We looked at Jesus Christ one day and it was all so clear. We saw Christ and we saw he before whom every knee should bow, bow his own knee and wash his disciples' feet. We saw Christ and we saw the one who knew no sin, who did no sin, who was without sin, the one in whom was no sin, and he was bearing our sins in his own body on the cross. One day the light shone. We looked at Christ and we saw the earth rejected one was none other than the heaven accepted one. We saw that he who wore the crown of thorns was to be crowned with glory and honor. He who was on a tree was to be on a throne. He who came to die will come to reign. It all became clear to us. We turned to Jesus, and the veil was removed. Jesus Christ is our hope. This is the hope of the new covenant. Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he is the hope. And so I saw this book advertised recently. It's an older book, but I just came across it. It was from 1986, and it was a book called Adrift. And uh, in this book, uh, Stephen Callahan is recounting his 76 days lost at sea. What happened was he built a vessel, and he wanted to sail the Atlantic. And so he did, and he started out on his journey. But at one point, bad weather came, and it just destroyed his boat. And so what he did was he grabbed as many supplies, water, food, things he could, and he dove into his life raft, watched his vessel sink, and he spent almost 80 days 
afloat. And he said he faced death with wrapped punctures. He faced death from sharks. <laughs> makes me a little crazy. All right, he, he, he almost died from starvation, lost a third of his body weight. He almost died, of course, from dehydration and sickness. But someone asked him, and what kept you going? And this was his answer. It was hope. It was hope that I'd be rescued. It was hope that I'd be alive. It's my hope that kept me going. And someone once said, we could possibly live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. Maybe you came in here today, man, you are despairing and desperate. Turn to the Lord. Turn to Jesus Christ. His arms are open. Turn to him. He will give you real hope. Hope founded in the new covenant, founded in Christ. If you have done that already, if you have turned to him, and you have every reason to hope today and forever, hope that is real, hope in Jesus Christ. Point one, hope in Christ with the veil removed and our hearts exposed to the gospel truth. Here's point number two now. Behold, behold the glory of the Holy Spirit and cooperate with him as he transforms you from one degree of glory to the next. Let's look at verse 16 and keep walking through the end of the chapter. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we come to Jesus, the Spirit of God opens up our minds and our hearts, and we begin to see with spiritual eyes. We begin to see Christ, right? We see him in the scriptures and we see him in all of his glory. But then, the Spirit of God, as we come to Christ, also does something else. He begins to do what? Transform us. To make us like Christ. And so, that's what these verses here uh, at the end of chapter 3 are talking about. Transformation. Becoming like Christ. Jesus Christ, not just acting outwardly like him, but becoming like him, thinking like him, desiring what God desires, wanting what God wants, valuing what God values. This is becoming like him, not just behaving like him outwardly. And so look at verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Lord, when we, when we turn to him, when we turn to him in faith, this is talking about those that are saved. Those who've been what? Born again of the Spirit. Those who've been born again not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Those who are born again. Those who have turned to Christ who believe on him and confess him as Lord. When we do this, it says the veil then is removed. And so 
Paul goes back to his favorite example in chapter 3, which is Moses. And the veil that once blocked the glory of God is taken away. Through Scripture now, we see a vision of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have a, we have a new heart when we come to him. God makes us new. We have the Spirit now living in us, sealed with the Spirit of God forever. And we have enlightened eyes that we can see the glory of God. And don't forget, Paul had this happen in his life too. His own veil was lifted. It was removed. He gave his life to Christ. He put his faith in Christ. And so everything else, he says, then once he did that became what? Rubbish to him. Nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so the veil is removed as we turn to Christ. Verse 17 now, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God himself. It is not an it. It is a he. And he is now transforming us to be like Christ, to become like him. And so where the Spirit of God is, there is now freedom. We have freedom when we turn to Christ. I wrote this down. We have freedom from the bondage to the law that Paul is talking about. We have freedom from Satan. We have freedom from fear. We have freedom from the power of sin. We have freedom from the penalty of sin. That's freedom from eternal death. Sure, in Christ is your salvation. We have freedom that allows us to what? Worship God now. Not, not caught up in a bunch of rituals and routines, but actual worship of God. A real, living, abiding, joyful relationship with the God of the universe. We worship in spirit and truth. We have freedom to walk with God now. Freedom to experience God. Freedom to give God glory. We are free, listen, to make much of him. Not to make much of ourselves. We are free to make much of him. Now verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It says that we all, all those what? Who are saved, who are in Christ, we all now, with unveiled face, with the veil removed, as we turn to Christ, the veil is removed, so all of us who are saved, who have the veil removed now, we who see clearly now, Christ, by the Holy Spirit, we behold his glory. We have an unobstructed view. We behold the glory of God. As we look into the scriptures, we see Christ. We worship him. We understand Christ. We behold his glory. We bask in the glory. We let God pour it on us. We behold, it says, the glory of God. Now, I just want to say this 
most of your translations probably say it that way, the way the ESV does and the way that I just said it, is that we are with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, a few of the translations, maybe you have one in your hand today, may say it this way. Instead of using the word beholding, it says we are reflecting, right? We are reflecting the glory of the Lord. And although those words are very different, they really are both right. It really just depends on which one you're stressing. Whether you're stressing the beholding as we gaze upon God or the reflecting to other people as we're being transformed. So the idea is we behold, we gaze upon the Lord, we bask it in, we look to God, we reflect then after that his glory to others, much like Moses did, right? And then that was the example. So yes, we are beholding the glory of God as we see Christ in the scriptures as we worship him, but at the same time then as we behold his glory, now we reflect that glory of God to others as we're being transformed, okay? So we are beholding his awesome glory and reflecting that glory then to others. Beholding the glory of God. We are beholding the glory of God. With the veil removed, we're beholding the glory of God, it says, and then it says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as I behold the glory of God, God begins to transform me into the image of God, of Christ, one degree of glory at a time. And so this is talking about the ongoing process of sanctification. Church, this is God doing in us what he's already said about us. He's making us holy as we are holy. He is making us like Christ. We are being transformed Listen, from the inside out, this, this word transformed here is the Greek, uh, Greek word metamorpho. Metamorpho. So you can kind of hear the word there, metamorphosis, right? Being transformed from the inside out. Remember what I said earlier. This is not just behaving outwardly, but a transformation inwardly, right? Thinking like God thinks, valuing what he values, desiring what he desires, and acting like he acts. This is becoming like him, not just behaving like him. So we're being changed into his image. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So um, my wife Stacy loves to do puzzles. And uh, you know when you first take a puzzle out of the box and you kind of get it all over the table, it looks kind of like a scrambled mess, right? It looks kind of jumbled, and things don't look like they go with anything, and it's kind of all spread out, and it's a bit of a mess. In fact, the puzzle she was doing this past week on day one, it looked like a jumbled mess. You couldn't really see anything. But as she put it together, day after day, putting it together, by the end of it, it was beautiful, right? I think her exact words was, wow, this looks so pretty. Okay, it was, it was beautiful. It was radiant. Listen, you, you could clearly see what it was made to be. It was beautiful. It looked good. Now listen, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Okay, one degree at a time. 
Listen, one piece at a time, God putting it together. We are being transformed one degree of glory to the next. You may say, I don't look that much like Christ yet. God's not through with you yet, and me either. He's putting it together. He's working on us as we behold the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image, one degree of glory to another. God doesn't just microwave us into his likeness. It's just like, done. He grows us, and he changes us. He makes us like him. Listen, it's the Spirit of God that's doing the changing, right? That's what we see. We are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is changing us. Yes, we play a part in that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is God doing the changing. We can't just muscle our way to being like Christ. We can't just force it. In fact, this is the example that Tim's given us before with the Nerf ball, right? And sometimes we get to the place where we just kind of white-knuckle it. Man, I got this, God. I'm changing. I can do it. Look at me. It's happening. Then a few days or maybe a few weeks, and it just goes right back to how it was. That's just outward change only. Maybe that feels good because we can kind of control that and we don't really surrender it to God and we kind of feel like, I got this. But it's not real change. It's us muscling it and forcing it and I got it, God, but it's not real transformation. So, God doing the changing. God changing us. Him transforming us one degree of glory to another. Do you want that? Do you want God to change you? Do you want to get real with God and say, God, I'm done with it. I'm done with faking it. I'm done with trying to muscle it. It ain't working. God, I'm ready. Maybe you would just say that in your mind right now. God, nothing is off limits. I surrender it all to you. You do the work in me. I don't want to fight it anymore. I don't want to try in my own strength anymore. I need you to change me. So how does that happen? Let's put that picture up. This is going to be a review for some of you. Maybe for some of you have never seen this before. But it was a little over a year ago, I think, we talked about the transformation, a triangle. Okay? So the transformation triangle, which you're going to see in a moment, is is the transformation of what God doing the changing, God doing the healing, and us then doing the cooperating, okay? So we've preached on this before, the three E's, encounter, exalt, and engage. Do we have that picture? Encounter, exalt, engage, it's coming. So think of a triangle, and think of on the bottom left corner of the triangle, uh, the word being encounter, all right? And as, the, as you think about that word encounter there, let me start talking about that, all right? True growth, we know, is directed by God revealing himself in the word, in the scripture. Look, you can meet and know the God of the universe. There it is there, encounter. You can know God. He has revealed himself in the word of God. In the scriptures, 
And so look, as you read the Bible, this is not just a check mark. It, it, isn't, it isn't just filling our mind with some words on a page. This is an encounter with Almighty God, the creator of the universe. This is an encounter with God, and in the scriptures, as we encounter him, we see who God is and who he's made us to be, how it is that we can be saved from our sin, how it is that we can walk with God. Look, this is a personal book. Man, we got to devour the book. But not just to say we memorize some scriptures, but to actually meet God here as the Spirit of God reveals God in this book. God reveals himself in scripture. Do you know God's word? Do you respect and honor God's word? Is this book on a higher shelf than any other book in the house? Do you then obey God's word? In God's word, we encounter God. We know him. We begin to see him for who he is. We begin then to desire him as the spirit of God is changing us. And we obey the words of God. But listen now. Not just, I read it, I'll do it, right? Not going to be angry, God. I promise, not doing that anymore. Or I know I'm going to be patient, God. I'm just going to be patient. I'm just going to do it. The word says that I should be kind to one another, so I'm just going to be kind. Not that. Right? That's the muscling it like we were talking about. That is what a lot of people do, and they go from encounter across the bottom of the triangle to engage. Right? Read it, do it. Read it, I can do it. And that lasts a couple days or weeks. It's not real transformation. You have to go up the triangle now to what? You encounter God, now we begin to exalt God. That's where we're going. We're going up, exalt God. And so let's talk about this. True growth requires what? God's power unleashed into my heart. Right? God's power unleashed in my heart as I step out and passionately worship him, as I exalt him. And really there's two uh, postures we talked about of exaltation. And the one is just hands up, beholding God, praising God. God, you are awesome. God, you are holy. God, you are sovereign. God, you are perfect. We just raise our hands and we make much of him. And we posture that way to look up, to get our eyes focused on him, to reach out. And I'm telling you, as you do that, man, it does something. As we make much of him and look to him, we praise him, we worship him, we thank him. There's a second posture, right? We make much of God, we lift our hands up and we worship but we also, the second posture is this, on our knees. As we make much of God, we also now begin to what? Humble ourselves. Make little of ourselves. We get down on our knees and we begin to cry out to God, just surrendering all of our life to him. And we confess our sin. And we just sit and agree with God. God, forgive me for this. God, I know this was wrong. God, please change this in me. God, I'm just, I just want to get specific with you. God, please forgive me for this. God, please forgive me, God. I believe that you will. God, not my will anymore. Your will be done. 
God, I surrender this to you. I'm done with it, Lord. I'm done with muscling it. You take it. You do it. You, may you become greater and me so less. We make much of him by raising our hands to him and we get down on our knees and we humble ourselves and we confess our sin and we get low, man. Two postures, hands up, on our knees. We are exalting God. And so it's this, it's behold. Maybe say it out loud, raise our hands, praise and worship and thanks, and just cry out to God, making much of him. We behold our God. We're also still, right? Behold, first posture, be still on our knees, crying out, confessing sin, surrendering our life, giving it all to him, still before him, your ways, your will, not mine. I deny myself. I pick up my cross. I follow you again. I confess this to you, God. Please change me. I can't do it. I need you, oh God, to change me. Behold, be still, and then be filled. Ask God to fill you with the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God would what? would dominate all of your life, all your thoughts, all your decisions, all your actions. You would be under the authority of the Spirit of God, and the Word of God, that God would have this full control and that you'd walk in the Spirit, as Galatians tells us, that you'd keep in step with the Spirit. Behold, be still, be filled. Encounter, exalt, and now engage. You see the difference It's not, okay, I won't lust, done. Okay, I won't be angry, done, I'll just do it. No, God transform me. God forgive me. God, you are awesome. I am not. I need you, oh God. We are exalting God. And now engage. True growth does require worshipful cooperation. And so this is God working in me for his good pleasure and me working it out, what he's already worked in me. God doing the work, him doing the changing, the drawing, the healing, the transforming, and now me cooperating, fully engaged, cooperating, all of his ways and all of his will, but in his power, in his strength, by his grace, I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Encounter, exalt, engage, real transformation, not a muscle, not a fake, but a real Man, and God wants to do that in you. And that's the awesome thing, is God wants to work in us. And so put yourself before him, even this week, even now, I want to give us an opportunity to do that. That our life would be a life of worship that results in real transformation.